Good morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 6. Chapter 6. This is a passage that uh, I've taught several times, but never in worship. I've, I've taught it to guys. Uh, our men's group has been through Joshua on a couple different occasions. And uh, we looked at it. just so happened we came across it uh, in the normal scheme of things this past week. But... Uh, and for that reason, I thought, well, I'm just going to I'm going to find another passage. And so I was going to teach you uh, a more obscure passage than this one. This is sort of the token passage on our topic this morning. Uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we're in a series on the doctrine of sin. We've uh, spent some time talking about the basic essentials of sin and uh, where sin came from, whose fault is it and who gets the blame, all that stuff we talked about. Uh, Adam and the origin of sin. We talked about sin as it relates to Satan and how he was involved. We talked about sin and how it was transmitted from Adam all the way to us, how it was imputed to us, all that, all that basic sin 101 stuff. And then we moved on from there and we talked about sin in the life of the believer. Is it even a reality? And you remember we looked at Romans chapter 7 for a couple weeks and we talked about the battle that went on in the heart and in the mind of the Apostle Paul. We talked about the battle as it continues to rage in our lives now that we're believers. It doesn't go away, right? And then last week, we followed that up by saying, okay, if sin is a reality in the life of the believer still, I mean, if we still have this conflict, if we still have this battle going on in our life, even with Christ, how do we deal? How do we fight? And so we talked last week about a battle plan, and I gave you some very practical ways that we are to fight the good fight against our own flesh, as it were. And so... Last week was, how do we fight the battle? This week, here's what I want to do. I want to just give you uh, a story from the Old Testament. It's a very popular story. And our topic this morning in the lines of the doctrine of sin is, what are the consequences of allowing sin to remain in the life of the believer? We talked about fighting the fight. But if we decide not to fight, if we decide to let sin abide in our flesh, as Paul would say, if we decide to let it take up residence, pitch a tent, build its house in our life, and hang out, what are the consequences, all right? Uh, one of my favorite cartoons growing up was G.I. Joe, and uh, I've told some of you this before, but uh, every day I'd get home, and G.I. Joe was it, man, and I would get home from school, and I'd plop down in front of the TV, get me a Twinkie, and... Uh, uh, some Kool-Aid, and, and G.I. Joe would come on. And I'd watch G.I. Joe, and there's one thing I remember about every G.I. Joe, and if, if you came from that G.I. Joe time frame, you know this, right? At the end of every G.I. Joe cartoon, there was this life lesson. You remember those, G.I. Joe fans? There was this life lesson, and G.I. Joe himself would stand up in front, and it was odd because here it is, kids watching this cartoon where, I mean, it's war, and people are killing each other, and guns, and tanks, and all this stuff, and then G.I. Joe stands up, and he's going to give this moral lesson of the day. Well, uh, I remember one in particular, G.I. Joe, was going to teach the kids what to do in case of a nosebleed. I mean, it's, this is valuable information, right? I mean, every kid is going to have a nosebleed. I remember him teaching that lesson, but still to this day, I can't remember what it was we're supposed to do. I mean, do you put your head back, head forward, pinch or not pinch? I don't remember. I just remember him teaching on it. But I, I'm all confused. But here's, here's, the, here's the thing about those life lessons that I remember. At the end of every one, G.I. Joe would have taught you something. He would, have, he would have helped you to know something that you didn't know before, right? And at the end of every one of those life lessons, he said the same thing. He said, now, kids, you know. And knowing is what? 
half the battle. Every time. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. That principle, I think, is a biblical principle. I don't think G.I. Joe knew that, but it was a biblical principle nonetheless. Because there are things that if we just know them, they tend to help us. Does that make sense to you? Just having the information changes things for us. You know, last week I talked to you about just knowing that the battle is going to continue on all the way until you hit the grave is helpful. I mean, just to have the knowledge that this thing isn't going to go away when you hit your 20s, 30s, 40s, even your 70s, it's still going to be there. And so just to know, hey, this is going to be a fight for the rest of your life, that does something. That helps you in some way. This week, here's what I hope. That knowing, just the knowing that if you let sin remain in your life as a Christian, there will be consequences. There will be repercussions. And I hope that when you leave here, just knowing that will scare you enough to either stay away from sin to begin with or when it creeps in, get it out quick. All right. Joshua chapter six is an interesting chapter. Let me let me give you uh, sort of the uh, the context of this chapter in the first five chapters of the book of Joshua, we find out that there's been a transition in the nation of Israel. Moses is gone. He's died. And now a new leader has been raised up and it's Joshua. Joshua comes to the forefront. And he is the leader of the nation of Israel. Joshua one through five, we get a whole bunch of instant replays in the life of the nation of Israel. They, claw, they cross the Jordan just like they crossed the Red Sea. Uh, all kinds of instant replays. God confronts Joshua just like he confronts Moses in the burning bush. All kinds of parallels. It's sort of like the nation of Israel gets a second chance to go into the promised land. Well, in Joshua chapter 6, the nation goes into the promised land and they fight the battle of Jericho. That is sort of the entrance battle into the land. And they whoop up on them. You remember the story in Joshua 6? They, they stand around the uh, town of Jericho and they march around. Basically, God says, hey, do this thing that looks really silly. I want you all to look real silly and just start marching around. Don't say a word. Do it. Uh, do it once for six days. And then on the seventh day, do it seven times. And then, you know, uh, the walls are just going to fall down when you shout. And, and the, you got to know that the nation is thinking, OK, we're going to look kind of foolish here. Marching around these people's city. You know, there's guys, guards up on the wall throwing oranges and melons and whatever tomatoes they got down saying, what are these guys doing? And that it's very intentional in the flow of the book of Joshua that God keeps the nation of Israel from depending on themselves. And going into the land, they know that they have no power of their own. They must depend on God. Remember, these are not a military people. They're an agricultural people. And so they go into Jericho thinking, we're going to get whooped. And now God's going to make us look foolish going around. But you know what? We learned from our parents that we are not to question God. We question God, and we're going to have to wander around out in the wilderness for 40 years. So we're just going to do what God says right here. So they march around the city. The walls do fall down. They go in, and they whoop up on Jericho. And everybody's excited. Well, Joshua chapter 7, we find out that something happened here. Would you look at verse 1? Joshua 7, verse 1 says this, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. You say, what ban? Well, at the end of Joshua chapter 6, God says, when you go into Jericho, do not take anything. Do not plunder anything for yourselves. In fact, burn it all. 
Anything that won't burn, like gold, silver, all those precious kind of things, you take them to my house, to the house of God, and they'll be God's private treasure. He does this for one reason, because he doesn't want the nation of Israel to go in, whip up on Jericho, and then take all this reward for themselves and showboat it around. So that they think, look at what we've done. They have nothing to glory in. You get that? They have nothing to glory in because God has put a ban on the stuff. If it were you and I, we'd go in, we'd take all the stuff, and you know, we'd, we'd got the king's crown on, we're splitting all the stuff up between us. You know, you get this, I get this, right? I mean, that would happen. It would have happened with the nation of Israel. So God put a ban on it. He said, burn it all. Whatever won't burn, it's mine. I get the credit. I get the credit. Well, something happened here. Joshua 7.1 tells us that they acted unfaithfully in regard to the ban. Now, here's what happened. Because Joshua 7 verse 1 is sort of a behind-the-scenes commentary by the author. The nation doesn't know it. Joshua doesn't know it. We get this verse here, and we get to know what the problem is before it begins to infiltrate the camp. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah. Now, let me show you something here. The tribe of Judah was a tribe that should have been the tribe of leaders. This guy should have been a leader, but he acted unfaithfully. From the tribe of Judah, here's what he did. He took some things under the ban. Big deal, right? Well, you're going to find out that it is. It is, in fact, a very, very big deal. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against, guess who? Achan? No. The anger of the Lord burned against, don't miss it, the sons of Israel. Hey, when one man on the team falls, the whole team is slowed. Okay? We're talking this morning about consequences of sin in the camp. Achan brings in sin. The rest of the folks don't know about it yet. But in verse 1 of this chapter, we find out that because of it, because of this one man's actions... It has affected the entire nation. Keep going here. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Ai is going to be the next battle for the nation of Israel. They're 1-0. They beat Jericho. Now they're going further into the promised land, and they've got to face this nation of Ai. So Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Pretty normal. He sent spies in before. So this is, this is good. Uh, Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, here's what Joshua said, go up and spy out the land, just like they did before. So the men went up and spied out the land. Sounds good so far, right? Look at verse 3. They returned to Joshua and said to him, do not let all the people go up. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go up to Ai. Don't make all the people toil up there, for they are few. Now, technically, the report is true. Technically, the report is true. Ai wasn't a, big, wasn't a big nation. It wasn't a big group of people. Two or 3,000 men normally should maybe do the trick. But do you see what's left out here? In Joshua 1 through 5, over and over and over, they go to God. They go to God. They go to God. God, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? 
But look here. They've come off this great victory. A victory they never thought should have been theirs in their own strength. But God pulls off this great victory. And now we find the nation of Israel taking some shortcuts. Taking some shortcuts. Not only has the whole nation been affected by this sin, but you get the idea that this sin in the camp has affected the wisdom of the nation. They're doing something here at the spur of the moment based on their own wisdom, based on their own evaluation of the next battle. Well, look what happens here. Verse 4. So about 3,000 men from the people went up there. And before the verse is over, we find out that they fled from the men of Ai. I told the men's uh, Bible study on Wednesday morning that I always get the picture of a Monty Python movie when I read this verse. You ever seen a Monty Python search for the Holy Grail? You got the little guy back there banging the coconuts, right? And I can see the nation of Israel. They go up the hill. We just need a few, few guys. They go up the hill to Ai. And then before the verse is over, they turn around. They're running back down the hill, right? Help! Help! This small nation who they thought they could whip up on is chasing God's chosen nation back down the hill before the verse is even over. How foolish they look. How cowardice they look. You see, sin in the camp has also affected their courage. Verse 5, we find out what happens here when they go in their own strength. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men. How many did they send? About 3,000. You know what this is? It's a picture of the grace of God. Even when you live in sin as a believer, there are times when God is just merciful. You say, how is God merciful? They sent up 3,000. All 3,000 could have been whacked right there. They run down, and how many do they lose? They only lose 36. It's the mercy of God, even in the midst of sin. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Sherebim and struck them down on the descent. They didn't even get back home. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. If you know Joshua 1 through 5, that is a phrase reserved for not the nation of Israel, but for the nations who the nation of Israel faced. Every time the nation of Israel would get close to a battle, it would say that the hearts of their enemies would be melted because of the power of their God. And so it's ironic here in this verse that it now says that the hearts of the nation of Israel are the hearts that are melting. Why? Because of sin in the camp. It's going to affect more than just Achan. Verse 7 or verse 6, look at who it affects next. Then Joshua tore his clothes fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dusts on their heads. Seven, Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan, only to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. If only we would have been willing to stay out of the promised land. This is the first time in all of the book of Joshua that Joshua drops it. You see, every other time that God says, Joshua, do this, you never get Joshua saying, but God, are you sure? You never get Joshua saying, yeah, I don't really know that we should do it that way. You always, in Joshua 1 through 6, see God say, Joshua, do this. And Joshua says, 
God said do this, we're going to do this. He's always quick to be obedient, and he never, ever doubts. But when sin infects the camp, it affects even the leadership. Now we have Joshua sounding like Moses, complaining to God, why did you ever bring us out here if we're just going to die? That's a quote from Moses. Look what happens when sin gets into the camp. Verse 8, O Lord, what can I say? Since Israel has turned their back before their enemies, sin has made us cowards. 9, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut us off from the whole earth. And what will you do for your great name? Sin has affected the faith of the nation. God has said, I will give you this land. I will give you this land. Will their name be struck from all of the earth? No, of course not. What happens? Sin has crept in and has affected their faith in the God who told them, this is your land. They're beginning to doubt. Sin is taking its toll. Verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why is it that you have fallen on your face? And in verse 11, this is the first time that Joshua finds out why the nation is in the shape it's in. You see, when man doesn't know our sin, who still knows what's going on? God. Can sin be hidden from God? No. God knows, and God has to tell Joshua what the problem is. Listen to these verses in regards to whether or not God knows the entirety of our sin. Psalm 90 says, Thou hast placed iniquity, our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy presence. Proverbs 5, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Proverbs 15, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Proverbs 21, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Inferences that he sees even deep into our hearts. Jeremiah 2, although you wash yourselves with lye and use much soap, the stain of your iniquity is ever before me, declares the Lord God. Jeremiah 16, for my eyes are on all your ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is your iniquity concealed from my eyes. Ecclesiastes 12. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Let me give you a New Testament. Hebrews 4. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him. God knows, even when everyone else hasn't a clue. God still knows, even when it's hidden. Verse 11, God's going to give Joshua the information that he doesn't have. Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them in regards to the ban. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Inference is they've not only taken them, but they've gone a step farther. They're deceiving now with the things they've taken. You see, moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. You want another consequence of sin in the camp? A lack of power. Sin affects 
the power of the righteous. God says you'll not be able to stand before your enemies. Not only that, they'll turn their backs before their enemies. Sin will make them cowards. For they have become accursed. Who is doing this to the nation? God is. He says this will be a consequence. And I will. I will carry out the consequence of your sin to get your attention. Look at what else he says at the end of verse 12. He says, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. You want another consequence? That sin affects your relationship with God. He says, I will not be with you if you let the sin stay. You catching some of these consequences? If you let sin abide, I can't hang out. I can't be there. Now let me tell you something here that is, that is very important to us understanding this passage and sin in our life. We are not talking about here the believer who stumbles into something, says, I can't believe I've done that, gets up, cleans himself off, claims forgiveness, repents, turns away from it, and goes on living in forgiveness, trying his hardest, fighting that battle, that Romans 7 battle, trying his hardest to be obedient to the law of God, even though the law of his heart and his flesh says to do something else, you see a guy who's fighting. That's not the guy we're talking about here. That's not Achan. The picture that we have here in this story and the picture that we're trying to paint here today is the story of the guy who says, I am a believer. I am a Christian. But you know what? I've got this thing and I'm going to keep it. And I'll hide it if I have to, but I'm not going to get rid of it on my own accord. What we're talking about here is unrepentant and unconfessed sin in the life of the righteous. This is the toll that it will take, folks. When we carry sin in our life, we hide it deep maybe, but it is unconfessed. We're not owning up to it. And it is unrepentant sin. Keep going here. 13. This is what God says to do. He gives some instructions to the nation of Israel. Verse 13. We need to get up, clean up, and clean it out. Rise up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. Get up, clean up, and get the sin out. 14 through 18, I'm not going to read it to you. Here's what God does. God sets up a plan to pinpoint sin. And it's a point I don't want you to miss. There is a time when sin has to be pinpointed in our life. And God has this elaborate plan for the nation of Israel to narrow it down among themselves Where exactly is this sin in the camp? Because remember, nobody knows but Achan. Nobody knows but Achan, and he's not telling. Unrepentant, unconfessed, he's not telling. So God says, okay, we'll narrow it down. We'll pinpoint it. A little wisdom for us in our lives. There is a time where we need to do this ourselves, or else God will do it for us. Amen? Hey, pinpoint in your life where there is sin, even if you have to dig deep. You know when a good time to do this is? 
It's always a good time to do this when you take part in communion. We're going to do this the last week of this month. When Preston gets back, we're going to have communion together. And I always, when we have communion, I always love to go through this process in my life. Take that fine-tooth comb and run it through my heart and say, okay, God, where exactly is there sin in my life? And if I'm missing it, if I'm missing it, would you show it to me? And that's what God does. He develops his plan and he narrows down the nation and he finds Achan. Verse 19, then Joshua said to Achan, my son... Notice that there's affection toward the one who's been causing all this trouble for the nation. Don't miss that. My son, I implore you. You get the idea that Joshua's begging right here. Why would Joshua as the leader beg? Because this thing has been like a cancer to the nation. 36 people lost their lives. Many more could have lost their lives. It's been an underlying problem that they didn't know about. Joshua's been doubting, been questioning God. Their wisdom has been affected. This is taking its toll. Joshua gets to Achan and he's begging. I implore you, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Would you notice that repentance here is equated to worship in this verse? Very interesting that Joshua says, listen, give Praise and glory to God. Tell us what you've done. Confession and repentance in this context is equated with worship. God will be honored once again in our midst if you confess and you repent. Verse 20, he does. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I have done. Notice that he doesn't confess until he's confronted. I mean, sometimes, folks... We don't deal with sin that is hidden in our lives until someone confronts us about it. Until life whacks us in the back of the head and forces us to deal with our own stuff sometimes, it never gets dealt with. And Achan fesses up right here, but he fesses up a little too late in the game. And now you're going to see that he has to suffer some consequences, some very harsh Consequences. 21, we get a great account here. Aiken's going to tell us what exactly went wrong. And this is a study all in its own on how we as righteous believers get ourselves into sin. And we could spend a week just on this one verse. Let me show it to you very quickly. 21, he says, when I saw, and would you notice all the verbs that Aiken pinpoints here? Number one, he says, when I saw among the spoil, that's the stuff that was under the ban in the battle of Jericho. A beautiful mantle from Shinar, that's Babylon, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Would you notice what he saw? He saw something very attractive. Now, is that in and of itself the problem? No. Somewhere here in the next verb... We cross the gray area and we get into sin. It starts out very concisely, very good evaluation of how Achan got himself into this. He says, you know what I saw? I saw this stuff. I saw this thing that I wanted to do. Now look here where he crosses the line. Then I coveted them. Then I took them. And behold... 
Then I concealed them in the earth, inside my tent, with the silver underneath it. You see the progress here in the heart and the mind of Achan? I saw it. It was, it was real nice. And I, and I should have turned. I should have ran the other way. But I looked a little bit too long. And when I looked a little too long, I started to covet. I wanted it. I wanted it to be mine. I wanted that thing that God said was sin. And finally, after looking long enough, I just, I just reached out and I grabbed it and I took it. And I, I did it. I did that thing that God said don't do. And you know once where I realized what I had done, I was so deep into it then that I, that I just I hid it. And I pushed it as deep down as I could. And instead of confessing it, instead of fighting that fight at that moment of sin, fighting that Romans 7 battle, he says, you know what? Maybe I, can, maybe I can cover it up. There's some wisdom in that, guys, in knowing how to fight the battle. I don't have time to unpack it for you any further. 22, here's what we do. So Joshua sent messengers, and they, what? They ran. They ran to Achan's tent. And behold, it was concealed in his tent, just like he said, with the silver underneath it. What do we do when we face our sin? We run and we take care of it. We cut out the cancer as quickly as we can. Don't mess around. Don't wait around. Deal with it quickly. 24, then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his ox, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? Now the Lord will trouble you this day. There's a little bit of a play on words here. That name of that valley, the valley of Achor, it literally is the valley of trouble. Joshua says, we're going to take you to the valley of trouble. Why have you troubled us? Now God is going to bring trouble to you. Would you notice how far sin has infected those who are around Achan? It has affected all that he has. The sin that he thought would just be contained in his own life, has ramifications on all those who are around him. Now, some of you know who have had this sort of thing in your life and you've held on to it for too long and you hit it for too long that when it comes out, it is not only you that is affected, but it is everyone who is close and dear to you, even your dog sometimes. They took everything Everything this guy had. How severely, how totally are we to deal with our sin? We are to deal with our sin in its entirety. And so you get this picture of the nation of Israel taking everything, taking everything and laying it out before God. Everyone who is affected is brought up and it is showed to everyone. 25. Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire, 
after they had stoned them with stones. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin always always ends badly. This passage, let me say this, uh, we are under a different economy, all right? We don't run out and burn people and stone them anymore. We are under a different economy of God. But this passage should not be lost on us as New Testament believers in that we are to understand the, the terrible, terrible consequences and the terrible impact that our sin could have not only on us but on all those around us and in the church, all those who are in the fellowship with us from the leaders right on down to the smallest. Everyone is affected no matter how small or no matter how hidden we think our sin is. And it is, in God's estimation, a major, major thing. And it has to be dealt with quickly, publicly at times, laid it out before God and laid it out before all the people of the nation of Israel. They took them to the valley on public display. And it says the whole nation was involved in the consequence The nation of Israel had to take one of their own, stone him, and burn him. You think that was an easy deal? No. Do you see the seriousness of allowing sin to remain unconfessed and unrepentant in God's house? It's a big deal. God just doesn't wink at it. He doesn't take it lightly. It has to be dealt with quickly and with all seriousness. 26, let me show you something else. This is good. The end of the chapter, here's what they're to do. They raised over him, that's Achan, a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day, the Valley of Trouble. You know what it became to the nation of Israel? It became a memorial. Why do you have memorials? You have memorials so that you never, ever forget. God says to the nation, you stack some stones right here and you name this place the Valley of Trouble so that you will always remember and that your kids will always know what happened in this place at this time. Why? Not just so that you know, that's just half the battle, but so that it never has to happen like this again. Isn't that good? Hey, When sin is dealt with, it can be a teaching moment. It could be a moment where God is gracious. He turns from his fierceness. Did you see that? When sin is dealt with, the anger of God is appeased. He says, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. I don't expect you to be sinless, folks. But I do expect that when sin gets in the camp, you deal with it quickly. You don't hide it. If you hide it, there are consequences and repercussions. I can't be a part of what you're doing. I can't have my hand on the next battle. I can't be with the leaders. The leaders are going to get frustrated. The whole nation's going to be confused. The wisdom is going to go out the window. Things are going to begin to fall apart because I can't be in the midst of sin. I can't abide where sin resides, God says. Oh, deal with it. Deal with it. Get rid of it. I'll turn from my anger. And I'll bring you right back. Can I show you Joshua 8, verse 1? 
This is the Romans 8, verse 1 of the Old Testament. Some of you know what I'm talking about there. If you don't, go back and read Romans 8, 1 in the context of what we saw in Romans 7. Same thing right here. The very next verse, 8, 1, God says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Sounds like a good idea this time, right? Take all the people of war with you and arise and go back to Ai. See, I have, past tense, given most definitely into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as a plunder for yourselves, said an ambush. And God gives them this whole elaborate plan. Do you see how God rushes right back into their presence, gives them their power back, gives them everything they need to be the nation that he designed them to be once again. Just get rid of the sin. Don't let it hang out. A guy named Robert G. Lee wrote this in regards to sin. He said, sin has ruined men, ruined women, ruined angels. Sin has occasioned every tear of sorrow, every sigh of grief, every pang of agony. Sin has withered everything that is fair, blasted everything that is good, made bitter everything that is sweet, dried up springs of comfort, rolled far and wide tides of sorrow. Sin has digged every grave, built every coffin, woven every shroud, enlarged every cemetery that the world has ever seen. Sin, folks, has consequences, especially in the life of those who are to know better. I keep a little saying on my bulletin board uh, in my office. I saw it on the wall of a uh, on the wall of a bed and breakfast in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And I wrote it down. And I keep it because I thought it was good. It said, Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. It's been true in my life. When I let that, ha- let that sin hang out, it always ends up costing me more than I want to pay. Hey, There is a battle. There are consequences. I hope this morning, not to have scared you, but to have brought a a little bit of reality to your heart and mind, that if we allow sin to remain, it will wreak havoc, not only in our life, but in the life of our family, in the life of our church. It is like a cancer. It will spread. We just need to deal with it. And God will say, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's pray.